righty, welcome to the show. Pete Callender here, News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT, 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. Um, I do want to start off just by sharing, in case you uh, haven't heard, uh, sad news that uh, Claire Fallon passed away this weekend, uh, according to a statement uh, on social media by her family. She was a former Charlotte City Councilwoman before that. Uh, she was a neighborhood activist. That's how I met her and uh, her late husband as well. And I think the last time I saw her was uh, at his funeral. And I just, it's sad. And she, I mean, Claire Fallon was such a, a larger than life kind of personality. Um, just a great heart and disarming towards uh, people and honest in her approach, sometimes to the point of uh, a little bit, you know, tell it like it is brusqueness sometimes. Um, But like you knew where she stood on all of these issues. She was a Democrat on the Charlotte city council and, uh, but she bucked her own uh, party on a lot of stuff over the years. And so it's uh, just a sad day. And my condolences uh, to her, her family and uh, all of her friends and former constituents and people who worked with her colleagues. Uh, May she rest in peace. Um, Over the weekend also, I was up in Raleigh, actually. I went after the show on Friday. I got in the car and drove on up to Raleigh. And, yeah, that's just further confirmation. I'm not a huge fan of Raleigh. No, I'm kidding. Not really. But... Uh, was it the Crabtree Mall, I think is what that place is called, Glenwood Avenue? Is it my mistake? I thought that there were transportation experts that lived in Raleigh and work in Raleigh as transportation experts. I thought that was the case. That's where the state DOT, right? Don't don't they have all of the, the big-time planners and such? Wouldn't they all be up there? I don't know. It's, that's what I thought. Apparently, I was mistaken all this time. It's the only thing I can figure out. Because there's no way anybody would intentionally do what they did to their roads up there. Oh, my gosh, it's awful. So I was up there, though, for the, you know, what what actually happened was I made great time until I got .6 miles from the hotel. .6 miles, three stoplights, all out. And at that interchange, at the mall, so you got the mall, you got the major interstate right there. And you got three lights and you got like three lanes each direction and they're all the lights around. It took me over half an hour to go 0.6 miles. And that was with some cops on scene. I don't know what they were doing, but I saw the flashing lights. Anyway, um, I was up there for the John Locke Foundation's annual conference there, uh, the Liberty Conference, the Carolina Liberty uh, Conference. And uh, they asked if I would be a participant on a panel discussion on Saturday morning. I still don't know what value I brought to the (laughs) panel, but no, it was on big tech and they had uh, folks from uh, heritage and uh, AFP, the Americans for prosperity. um, And they had like actual like policy experts talking about section two thirty and censorship and what should be the appropriate way that we, Rain in big tech, all of these types of issues. And, you know, and there I am like, yeah, I work in talk radio and did a podcast. 
a successful podcast. It, it, it was. I was in the top like one percent of all podcasts, and so, which I mean, when consider there are like a there are over a million podcasts, so it's a very large one percent. So, uh, but I w- it was very successful, and um, you know, I talked about censorship because that's something folks in talk radio know a little something about. So it's kind of interesting to see people in the t- in the digital space now. Uh, coming up against these cancel campaigns that folks in talk radio have been very familiar with for a very long time, right? We've been targeted by political opponents for things that we say, uh, not even really things that we say, just the fact that we're saying uh, we're promoting a different idea. We're creating problems. We're poking fun at uh, these other folks, and they they tend not to like that. Uh, you know, Limbaugh used to say, I am equal time, right? That was the whole point. And I actually mentioned that as well, that, you know, Limbaugh gets on the air and all of a sudden there are millions and millions of people who thought that they were alone in their thinking on things. And then they find out they're not. There's actually a ton of people that agree. And so he gave voice to that. And that same similar dynamic occurs on social media. And so, of course, uh, the the tendency of the tyrants, the authoritarians, the tendency is to try to restrict that content, to, you know, listen to what someone has to say and then combat it with uh, shut up, right? Like that Andrew Clavin's famous uh, shut up uh, segment that he did. If you haven't seen it, by the way, head over to YouTube, type in Andrew Clavin with a K, K-L-A-V-E-N, I think, or A-N. Um but it, the video was done like during the Gulf War or yeah, yeah, the, the, the war in Iraq and uh, the war on terrorism was after 9-11. And there was, you know, all of this uh, fighting going on, but about whether we should go to war and they had the protests and stuff. And his argument was that the left doesn't make arguments. And this was 15 years ago. They just engage in shut upery. Well, now they control these platforms, these big tech platforms and they are engaging in that as well. And so naturally, that's of grave concern to people who, you know, get into the digital space to make their living. And you're at the mercy of someone else. You know, in radio, you're at the mercy of the, you know, advertisers. If they get boycotted and then they pressure or something, you get pressure campaigns from political groups and the like. Corporate entities, same thing. Like you have different pressures. The problem with the, in the big tech space is that you never get to interact with any of these people on a human-to-human basis. It's always the algorithms that get you. So anyway, there are a couple different you know ways to approach the this, the issue of censorship online. And so anyway, I was part of that panel, had a great time, and it was a great event. Uh, and then I got back on the road because I got to get back. And then there was the uh, this was where the the Senate debate occurred. The John Locke Foundation, along with I think WTVD, uh, ABC Eleven, they did this uh, this debate between the top four polling candidates um, in the U.S. Senate race in North Carolina. Although Ted Budd did not attend, I watched it. I actually watched it twice. I've got the audio. We'll take a listen. <laughs> News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Let's get right to the audio. 
It's not every bit of it from the debate, but it's I've got a lot. I'm not going to get to all of the clips that I pulled. I mean, I pulled 28 sound bites out of that one hour debate. So obviously I'm not going to be able to get to all of those clips, but I will get to uh, hopefully the best ones. So here is uh, each one, each of the three candidates that appeared. You had uh, Marjorie Eastman, you had uh, Mark Walker, and you had Pat McCrory. And each of them were given uh, like a minute, minute and a half to do their opening statements. And so uh, here are three. Ted Budd did not appear. They did leave a podium up there because, according to the organizers, they were not sure whether Bud was going to make it or not. So they set it up in case he showed up, then he would be allowed to like basically walk in and get on the stage. But it left an empty podium on the stage, which all three of the candidates then got to reference and make light of and, you know, attack him for not being there. Instead, Ted Budd was down in Florida at CPAC. So here's uh, Marjorie Eastman. She went first. Espinoza, Gee, Hoover, Noss, Lopez, McCollum, Morella, Nicoy, Page, Rosario, Sanchez, Smitch, Soviak. These 13 names are heroes, and they are my brothers and sisters who were killed in action on August 26 because of President Biden's disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan. Afghanistan. And now we have Ukraine. I'm the only candidate in this U.S. Senate race who has stood on the ground in a combat zone. I am Marjorie K. Eastman. And all the issues that we're surrounded with today, it was the fall of Afghanistan that was my tipping point. And I realized then the root of all of these crises is one thing, failed leadership because of career politicians. We will not get different results if we do not send different people. I am the only combat veteran, the only political outsider, and the only mom with a little boy who climbs onto a school bus in this U.S. Senate race. It is time to have a second Reagan revolution, a conservative who believes in limited and better government, free markets, and peace through strength. It is time to send a leader to the U.S. Senate who will never forget those 13 heroes. All right, so this was her entire performance at the debate uh, summed up, I think, in that line that she uh, just stated there, failed leadership because of career politicians and and, uh, her status as a veteran. And she made repeated reference to those themes throughout the evening. Next up was uh, Mark Walker, uh, and he kind of ran through his bio. Uh, Let me start by saying thank you to the John Locke Foundation, to Carolina Journal, and ABC 11. It's an honor to be here today. A little bit of quick background on on myself. I came to North Carolina, Winston-Salem in 1991, had $600 in my pocket, worked in business and finance. It wasn't long till I met my wonderful wife. Uh, We've been married 30 years, Uh, pursued business and finance for about six or seven years before we felt called to go back to school and become a pastor for 16 years, which is what exactly what we did. About seven and a half to eight years ago, I began to grow more and more concerned about the direction of our country. So I actually stepped away from ministry and despite the odds, took on the establishment and ran and won a seat in the United States Congress. At the end of my first term, I did something that had never been done before. I was elected by my colleagues to chair the largest caucus in Congress. The Republican Study Committee formally chaired by Mr. Mike Pence, the former Vice President, as well as Jim Jordan. 
People ask me sometimes, how did you hit the ground running so quickly in Congress? Well, what they didn't know is that you can survive a Baptist business meeting, you could about have success anywhere, right? I went off from there, became the ranking member on intelligence and counterterrorism. Been at the border, been in seven different Eastern European countries. In fact, to this date, I'm the highest rated conservative ever to be elected and appointed by my colleagues to serve in the top four leadership. I know what it's like to get things done in the United States Congress. I completed my six years, and I can stand before you and tell you this, that I am the highest rated America First candidate in this race. I am grateful to be here, and I look forward to explaining for the next hour why we are the best candidate in this race to take on Chuck Schumer and the Democrats. Thank you very much. All right. One of the things, I don't know why this is, I don't know why this ticks me off. It, well, it doesn't tick me off. It just, it's kind of, I don't, I, when did this start where, where candidates started speaking as if they are multiple people? Like Walker keeps saying we, we, and McCrory did it. And like I keep hearing other candidates doing this, and I'm not aware. Like this is a pretty recent thing, isn't it? Did everybody always talk about the I understand when you're talking about we, if you're talking about your campaign. But maybe sometimes you, you just say we so many times that in that regard that now you start saying we when you should say I. Um, but I don't know. Maybe it's a it's a it's a political consultant thing where they're like, oh, no, you say we, and then this way it, it's more inclusive and people feel like they're a part of it. I don't know. There's probably some psychology behind it. But Ted Budd said that he would not entertain the conversation of a debate until candidate filing ends at noon on Friday. That, according to the WRAL story on this, his opponents argue the major candidates in the race are already known and should engage in open conversation. Bud's senior campaign advisor, Jonathan Feltz, said after the debate that the congressman did not have a scheduling conflict. Rather, he said, Bud wants the primary date to be locked in and candidate filing to close before he agrees to participate in a debate. North Carolina Republicans on Friday challenged a congressional map to the U.S. Supreme Court, which, of course, has no impact uh, really on the uh, on the U.S. Senate race. Talk 1110-993-WBT. Going over the Senate debate that occurred on Saturday at the John Locke Foundation's annual conference, or well, after the conference had wrapped up. Um, this is from the piece at Spectrum News. Before the debate, John Locke Foundation President Donald Bryson said that the Ted Budd campaign would not say whether the candidate would be there. And so Bryson said if he shows up, because it, it started at, 330. Um, he says, look, if he shows up at 329, he can participate. Um, the debate came at the end of the John Locke Foundation's Carolina Liberty Conference. About 300 North Carolina Republicans met Friday and Saturday for the event at a Marriott across from the Crabtree Valley Mall in Raleigh. But many of the state's most prominent Republicans skipped this year's conference in favor of the National CPAC, which was happening on the same weekend. Those Republicans included Representative Madison Cawthorn and Ted Budd. Another noticeable absence at the Raleigh conference, there were none of the ubiquitous red Make America Great Again hats that have become commonplace at GOP gatherings in recent years. I don't even understand what, like, why? 
Why would you do that? Like, why would you put that in? Who makes that observation? Oh, you know, I'm not noticing any of the uh, the the hats for that campaign that was five years ago. I wonder why. So weird. Oh yeah, like as if everyone has abandoned Donald Trump or something. I I, I don't I don't understand what the point of that was. I mean, there was there were three people dressed in colonial era garb that were walking around get, taking pictures with people. They did have that. Uh, all right, let me go over here to Roger. Hello, Roger. Welcome to the show. What's up? Hey, how are you today? Hey, I'm well. What's up? What's going on? Really enjoy your show. I've been, been a long-time listener to WBT. I think I have an answer for you on the uh, your question about why the gentleman kept saying we, we, we. Yeah. Versus me, me, me. <clears throat> I love Donald Trump. I think he's been one of the greatest presidents we've ever had, but from a PR point of view, I think his big mistake was saying me, me, me too many times. I think he had to because the media tried to disavow everything he did and, and disregard it. But I think that's the reason. You, you you said there must be some psychological reason behind it. I would say that was the case. So, well, so you're saying that some consultant is probably advising candidates or many consultants are advising candidates to say we rather than me so as to not be lumped in with Trump? And I don't say it so much Trump. I think it's just the, the ego. I mean, I, I hope Trump runs again. Mm-hmm. I, I would vote for him in a heartbeat. I voted for him last time. Mm-hmm. But I think the same way, if you notice the hand gestures with politicians, they won't point that finger anymore no. a la Uncle Sam right. and say, you know, you need to get involved. You, you know, you need to fix this. They use kind of a... Uh, they, they do their hand, but it's a closed fist with a thumb kind of gesture. Right. Because Bill Clinton that, made that one famous. Yeah, Bill Clinton made that one famous with the, yeah, it's like a, like you kind of make a fist and keep the thumb kind of pointed out a little bit, and you point the thumb up, not at anybody. Exactly. Right. And uh, exactly. I think I McCrory think actually right. started doing that, too, when he ran for governor, I think, the first time. And he started, because people would uh, were making fun of him because it, it looked like he was constantly, like, throwing fists, you know? Uh, because he kept doing this punching kind of action, <laughs> so yeah, I that might be it, man. That like maybe they're saying like use the we rather than the me, and because Obama got hit for that because that he said I I I all the time. Well, I think part of it too is you know we the people. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of references that that kind of language that that patriot language. We the people. Yeah, well, you might be onto something. Uh, hey, Roger, I appreciate the call. Thank you. All right, man. See you. Um, let me get to McCrory's opening statement here. We've we've heard the uh, the opening, and this is only a minute and a half. So, and and it does frame sort of what they are looking to hammer away on the themes that they're going to hammer in the debate. And it's true, like they formulate the opening statement, and then you hear throughout the debate the return to these themes that each one has expressed. So, uh, you know, Mark Walker ran through his. His bio talking about, like, I'm the guy that can get stuff done because I am the guy that got stuff done. And, um, the you know, the, the number of endorsements he has had and that sort of thing and uh, the victories he has had. Uh, Eastman, Marjorie Eastman, she hammered away at uh, all of the problems are due to failed leadership because of career politicians. And then here is Pat McCrory. These are uh, very serious times. Just think about it right now. The president of Ukraine is fighting for his life and for his country. 
because a man named Putin, which Reagan warned us about the evil empire, is trying to destroy the freedom of not only Europe, but the world. And back home in America, the American dream is under assault. Through the policies of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, the American dream is under assault by what we see at the gas pump every day, by what we see in the grocery store every day, by the rent that people are trying to make every month living paycheck to paycheck. And where are the, where are the uh, insider from Washington? Well, Joe Biden's in Delaware, of all places, this weekend. And Congressman Budd is in Florida and not here fighting for a U.S. Senate seat that's probably one of the most important races in the United States of America. And it's inexcusable. I just want to let you know I always show up. I showed up as a mayor. I showed up as a governor. I showed up when there was a hurricane hitting Raleigh and going through Lumberton and Princeville and Kinston all the way down to Bath and New Bern. I showed up. I showed up when Antifa was in Charlotte and we put down the rioters. We need a U.S. Senator to show up for North Carolina now more than ever during these times of crisis. I look forward to this debate. Okay, so uh, when he wrapped up in his closing uh, statement as well, McCrory kind of put all of those themes under the heading of security and affordability. So you'll hear him, he talks about both of those themes in various different ways, but the affordability aspect is, you know, the the, the debt issues and the uh, inflation issues. And uh, on security, they, they started off the debate talking about Ukraine. The first question was, you know, what should we be doing there? Uh, the second question was, what can be done legislatively to bring down the cost of goods and inflation? Um, and uh, so those are the first two. We'll get to those uh, after uh, the break. I don't know what this is about, but I'll get them on before the break. Hello, Sheldon. Welcome to the program. What's up? Yeah, I just wanted to kind of mention, this is an interesting point. Um, on on the 51 in Matthews, um, there is the, there's a little shop in across from like where the Target store is. There's a Ukrainian federal credit union. And I thought I would share with you guys that that would be an interesting angle if you have reporters who want to check them out. Um, I, I happen to be, I bank at the cross street at the State Employees Credit Union. But it's, I see, and this opened probably within the year. So I just wanted to share that with you. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate it. That's kind of what I thought it was. he was going to say. All right. <laughs> News Talk 1110-993-WBT, the Pete Callender Show, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Remember the email also, Pete, at thepetecallendershow.com. Uh, and uh, the podcast gets posted every day. You can get it for free. Just go to WBT.com, click on the podcast, and uh, follow the show, and then it comes right to your smartphone or tablet for free. So the first question at the debate between the Senate candidates for North Carolina's U.S. Senate seat uh, that's on the ballot this year, what should we be doing in Ukraine? And uh, they started this off in the... um, uh, one of the uh, the moderators, Jonah Kaplan, uh, who's a reporter for WTVD, 
He started off by offering uh, the crowd an opportunity to give a round of applause for all of the servicemen and women in the military. And uh, so, of course, everyone uh, applauded. And uh, Eastman uh, thanked him for doing that. Uh, She called Putin a thug. She said we should be doing sanctions um, and then said uh, that Ukraine needs to be the porcupine that the bear cannot digest. Uh, Next up was Walker. uh, And he talked about how uh, he's got the experience necessary uh, to engage on this kind of geopolitical issue. Yeah, I, I'm the only candidate on the stage or in Orlando, Florida, uh, that has oh. met with and sat down with. You get it? Like that was the dig at Bud. This was constant throughout the event. Prime ministers and parliaments all across Eastern Europe, six different countries, several that border Russia. I know what they tell me. They tell me two things. One, Putin can never be trusted. He's all about world dominance. Number two, he doesn't react until he smells weakness. And I'm afraid during this administration, as we've seen the debacles in Afghanistan, he smells weakness at this point. We can't just talk or call upon people to do something. We have to lead and do something. We have to put sanctions on SWIFT. 200 different countries use that not as their banking but in their telecommunications. When we used it on Iran in, 2020, in 2012, it reduced their economic impact, the revenues, 30%. Russia right now, 40% of their oil and gas is their, their entire economy. We have to go after Putin directly. We have to make sure that we can do what we can without putting our men and women in harm's way. Which, by the way, uh, if you're watching what's happening in Russia, the ruble is crashing. Their currency is crashing. Uh, the EU has slapped tons of sanctions. Uh, they're now sending uh, military support into Ukraine. So I, this is what Obama called, if I remember correctly, leading from behind. I think that's what that is the term for that. All right. Uh, McCrory uh, said that we need to pressure companies, American corporations as well. In addition to the point said, as the next U.S. senator from North Carolina... I think we also have to tell our U.S. corporations to stop doing business in Russia today. Whether it be Microsoft, whether it be Apple, whether it be Pepsi, which was Khrushchev's favorite drink in the 60s. We have to tell them to shut down their businesses in Russia right now. The largest McDonald's is in Moscow. Shut it down. The second thing we need to do is we need to reverse the disastrous Biden policy on energy, especially with regards to natural gas. Joe Biden wants to get rid of all natural gas in eight years. In eight years, he wants to get rid of our greatest natural resource. And guess who would be the largest supplier of natural gas then? Putin. It's like one big gas station in Russia. That's the only thing they have. To supply and fund their military is natural gas. Reverse Biden's disastrous energy policy starting today. All right. Next question was what can be done to bring down cost of goods, inflation? Uh, Mark Walker said he has led on this issue. He proposed a balanced budget amendment while in Congress. And then McCrory said, well, as governor, I supported the pipeline development Um, in our state, in North Carolina, and we need to become energy independent. As your governor, I approved a major pipeline, natural gas pipeline, coming in from West Virginia into eastern North Carolina, which would have been a game changer for eastern North Carolina, where they're still using propane in many of our small towns. Sadly, 
the Biden administration and sadly the Roy Cooper administration didn't fight hard enough for it and the extreme environmentalists killed a major natural gas line right here in North Carolina, which would have gone down into Georgia also. As a U.S. Senator, the first thing I'll do, I'll introduce legislation to ensure that we get the Keystone Pipeline coming in from Canada, we get the natural gas line coming in from West Virginia and to the southeast. We secure the colonial pipeline from the Gulf Coast all the way to New York City, as we know in North Carolina, where there's any disruption in that, everything shuts down. We're extremely vulnerable. We make us energy independent, which makes the prices go down, and it also makes our nation more secure from Saudi Arabia, from Nigeria, from Venezuela, and from Russia. All right. And then uh, Eastman... Um made a crack at Ted Budd's expense in her answer to the question. Well, I just appreciate the way you teed that up um, because you said, how do we fix it? And, you know, when I came home from Afghanistan, I served as a commander over there during 2009 through 2010. I went to business school at Vanderbilt. And you don't have to have an MBA to understand how to fix inflation. Each and every one of us understands what we need to do. And this is the point. You and I did not create inflation career politicians do this. So we need to listen to people who run small businesses, to the mom that's going to the grocery store or the dad that's going to the grocery store, and we need to support them. And we are not gonna have different results, like I said at the beginning, if we don't send different people. We need to make sure that we have people there that have skin in the game and they wanna make the right choices and they're not there looking for a promotion or looking to stay there for two, three, four terms because that's their shtick. They like to be politicians. So let's send someone that wants to serve. So do you get this? Oh, I, I forgot. Uh, at the beginning, she, she made a comment. She made a joke like, oh, do we give a minute to the empty podium? So everyone was getting their shots in on Ted Budd last, or uh, Saturday night. But you can tell she's definitely hitting this theme, casting Walker and McCrory and Bud as, quote, career politicians. And she did it so relentlessly. I think this is why later on McCrory made a dig at her. Because McCrory's polling at either first or second, depending on, you know, which campaign polling you're looking at. Uh, it, Ted Budd and Pat McCrory, they are one and two. So uh, McCrory says he's one, and I think Bud's campaign says they're one, but whatever. Uh, like, they're tied, basically. For, in my mind, they're, like, tied. So um, that's where the fight is, unless somebody was able to move the needle during this debate. And generally, if you are the top, if you're the top polling candidate at the, uh, at the debate, it, generally you don't need to go after the person who's polling very, very low. Right. And I think Eastman is very, very low in the polling. So why would you go after her, which he did? I think it was because she kept on hammering away at him as a career politician, you know, and I think it kind of irked him a little bit. I I do not know that to be true. I have not asked him, but he made a comment later on. You'll hear it uh, about welcoming her to the state and to the Republican Party. (laughs) And she did not like it at all. So we'll get to that first. We're going to go to some news. Uh, here on News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT.